0: Welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. I'm Tom Scully, or Scolls as I get called, and this podcast has been designed for cricketers and cricket lovers who wanna learn and improve themselves. In this podcast, we interview past, current, and future cricket stars to find out more about their journey and what makes them successful, while also sharing some audio from ourselves at Cricket Mentoring. Our goal is to help you become your best on and off the field, so I hope you enjoy this podcast and get something valuable out of it. G'day legends, welcome back or welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. It's been a while since we published an episode, so I'm pumped to be back. This episode was recorded at the end of April 2020, when we're at the height of the coronavirus in Australia and around the world. It's being published in early June 2020, and fortunately things have become much more positive in Australia and around the world. So I hope this episode finds you healthy and happy. And if there's one thing the virus in isolation or lockdown should have taught everyone, it's to not take our normal mundane things for granted, because sometimes they can get taken away from us. Today's guest is a friend of mine and someone I've watched go from an average cricketer to scoring a huge hundred on his first-class debut. Charlie Wakeham grew up in Sydney and loved his cricket but in his own words, matured as a person and a player a bit later. And it wasn't until he was 25 that he became a professional cricketer when he was awarded a contract with Tasmania. After some tough times, Charlie finally got a lucky break when George Bailey got injured during a Big Bash match. And boy did he take his chance by scoring 160 on debut. I absolutely love sharing the unique and individual stories of cricketers at different stages of their career on this podcast. And after what some would say was a long journey to becoming a professional cricketer, Charlie is coming into the prime of his career and has his best cricket ahead of him. This is another incredible story of tenacity and never giving up. And I'm sure it will give hope to a lot of young cricketers around the world, especially if you're not necessarily the best player in your team or state right now. So let's get into it. Well, legends, I've got a very special guest with me today, and a friend, an old friend, Charlie Wake, and welcome, Charlie. Cheers, Skull. Cheers, good to be here. Yeah, good to see you, mate. We uh we go back for our listeners. We go back and uh friends through our mutual good mates, the Robson brothers, and we had a few good times uh, in the UK together.
1: Yeah, I played played at the mighty fine East Coast, um, where you did some of your best work playing over there.
0: Yeah, that's right. I, I had a number of years at Eastcote in the Middlesex League, and I think I, I sort of helped get you to Eastcote. And you lived with yep, Sam Robson, right. England. You lived with Sam Robson, England test player, who I lived with um, a few years before that. So, yeah, we, we connected over that. And I've been thrilled to sort of see your development and your progression. Um, I obviously met you first time when you were in the UK as a, as a young player and someone with sort of a hunger for the game. Um, but to see you sort of go on and and, and carve out a professional career and, and be right in the middle of that right now has been awesome. So well done on everything you've achieved since we've uh, since we've actually caught up.
1: Cheers, thanks, mate. Nice words, thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's um yeah, we'll get into your sort of your career a little bit later. But what I like to try and do with all our guests is sort of take them back to where it all started. So how did you? Obviously, you've got your brother Benny, but how did you get started in, in playing cricket? And what's your earliest memory?
1: Um, my My answer to that is the most typical one you could imagine i 've got two brothers, one older, one younger, all pretty close in age, so uh, yeah, backyard cricket for us um, my, Our granddad was riding right the cricket i 've got real young memories, probably as a three four five year old of him hitting balls with the tennis racket, tennis balls with his tennis racket to us, and we just catch him all day in his backyard' They're probably some of the earliest memories and obviously playing um, you know cricket from probably eight nine years old, um, with Ramwick Cricket Club. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys who I played with back then.
0: And what was it? What was it like with uh, you and your brothers in the backyard? Was it pretty fair and and everyone got a good hit and a good bowl? Or you? I know I don't know your your younger brother so well, but you and Benny are both uh, batters and are both sort of good players. Yeah. How, how did you How did you manage the backyard contests?
1: Oh no, it was fiercely competitive. <laughs> um. Yeah, it was it was cutthroat. If you're out, you're out. Um, if you didn't get out, you battled day. Then unlucky to the other two. But um, yeah, I think that sort of bred a bit of competitiveness. There's no doubt. There's going to be a few scuffles along the way. But um, as brothers do, you kind of uh, hate to love each other, and then you you sort of move on.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. I'm sure there were some epic battles. Um, Tell us about you as a sort of an early teenager, You 13-year-old, were you really serious about your cricket? Was it something you were just doing and, and just enjoying or, or when, sort of what was it like as a 13-year-old?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I, I'd i always had a little bit of success in, in teams i played in in junior cricket and I played um, for my local district, my rep team, Southeastern um, Cricket Association. I think that was where Dave Warner, it was when Kawaja kind of came out of that, that area as long as Sam and Angus Robson. But... I remember just playing for the enjoyment, to be honest. I'd never thought of a career at that stage. 13 was probably quite young and didn't know a whole lot about what I wanted to, to, to do. Um, so I was really just playing because um, it was just what I was wanted to do on the weekends and spend time with my mates.
0: Awesome. And so what stage of your cricket career in your life did you, like, and obviously you made your debut quite late and we'll get into that part of your journey yeah. a bit later, but what, what age did you decide, okay, I love cricket, I'm pretty good at it, and I'm going to sort of pursue it in some way?
1: It, it, it probably wasn't like a, a spark decision. I think it, it took time and it took a lot of um, failing and trying to, to succeed because, yeah, as you said, I was a late bloomer. I, didn't, I kind of bypassed a lot of the, the underage programs and, and sort of state teams. So I think I was... I mean, I, I didn't play regular first grade cricket until I was 22, 20, I think about 22. And um, when I started having success there and then playing a bit of second 11 cricket for New South Wales uh, and having some success scoring runs there, that's when it really hit to me that, you know, I, um, I can do this. I think before that, when I went overseas and played um, in London, that was, looking back now, that's probably a step that I did take. Um, you know, in being serious. Every time I went back over to the UK, because I did go a few times, I probably took my cricket a little bit more and more seriously, whereas when I started out the first season over there, I was just going for the experience and the lifestyle and um, have a year off uni, really.
0: Yeah, nice. So, what was driving you then? Like, if you're sort of going to England the first time is to have a bit of fun, then you sort of thought, okay, I'm going to go back again, and I'm going to go back again, and At this stage, you hadn't really thought about okay, I'm going to play professional cricket, and that's what's driving me. I want to score 100 in New South Wales. What was the driving factor back then?
1: So I've always had a little bit of a bugbear of mine is is a lot of people have always told me they had some talent, but that was I didn't want to be known as someone who had a lot of talent and that was it, and could get a nice flashy 30 um, because that's just not how I wanted to be sort of known, and I, I I. I, I I knew deep down I had a hard work ethic and I, I could put in a lot of work and that was probably what got me going because that's just a, a deep down competitive thing I've got, I suppose, me just wanting to prove to myself and other people around that, yeah, you can be talented at something, but that doesn't necessarily mean or eventuate into success or, or whatever you want to call it. I think uh, that's probably what drove me really uh, deep down. And I was surrounded with, um, fortunately surrounded with people, friends of mine who were in similar boats who actually went on and pursued careers over in, cricket careers in England and locally in Australia as well.
0: And it, it sounds like maybe that competitiveness comes from your backyard battles with your brothers. And, and I know Benny sort of had a, made a few lot of sacrifices and he's sort of still pursuing his cricket and giving it a good crack. Was, was sort of his... Was he a big influential person and sort of inspiring to you as well throughout those times?
1: Yeah, 100%. He was almost the trailblazer. He was the older brother, so he sort of paved the way and I kind of followed um, the path that he'd set in terms of teams he played for. You know, his goals effectively translated to what I wanted to achieve. At least in grade cricket, we played our club cricket together in Sydney. So, yeah, he was definitely a role model me because you know our dad was a rugby player not I mean he probably hates to admit it wasn't much of a cricket I said he was a good captain but not a great not a great player yeah so Ben was really the one that I um I, I sort of linked on as well as like you mentioned Sam Robson he was Ben's age and had a lot of success early um, so he was one of our in our close circle who had, who had achieved quite a bit and I sort of saw that from a distance and thought you know what I could probably do that or something similar uh, and that's what's
0: me. And you, you actually lived with Robbo, I reckon, in two thousand and fourteen when he was playing Test cricket, yeah. when he made his when he yeah. made his Test debut. And and being yeah. surra- being surrounded by someone like that, and seeing the success he was getting, and it must have just inspired you even more. And really, you you fed off and learn about what he was doing and how he was going about it. And and just that six months intimacy, even though he was away a lot, would have been really really mm. beneficial for your learning as well, I guess.
1: Hugh, yeah, huge. I'll I'll remember. I'll never forget the day he uh he rang me and told me because I think he was in Newcastle or something up north and yeah he uh he got the call saying he was in and I just couldn't believe it and then um so all of a sudden you know my housemate was the England opener uh, and we'll be playing um you know at all the famous grounds but yeah I I, I mean uh, yeah probably I I knew that that definitely set a bit of a a goal for me because I thought. You know, obviously Sam's exceptional batter, but I thought, you know, like I, I, probably not as good as him, but I was—I thought I was in the ballpark of his ability. And for him to be at the highest level, just get picked at the highest level, and at that stage, I was probably playing first grade cricket. It—it it said to me that I wasn't that far off. You know, like mm-hmm. you might seem at some points that you're a million miles away, but um, you never know who's watching. And you know, I just thought, let's sort of let's. Kind of
0: get to work. I love it. I love it. And uh I actually remember when Robbo called me, he was driving back from Newcastle with Buck Rogers, who was also our, our very close mate and, and uh yeah he, he called me and, yeah. and Buck goes, yeah. We're gonna have to get we're gonna have to get you a flight over and obviously uh yeah I flew over for it and you and I and Jacob Toucher yeah. and Buck I and a few others yeah we, we had it. Yeah. we had a good good few yeah. days watching good few days watching Robo play make yeah. his yeah. test of Earth lords. There were about
1: 40, 40 people um, at Lords that day. I don't reckon we watched a ball in the <laughs> in the afternoon after Sam got out.
0: Um, no, yeah, we, um, we in
1: the garden there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we had it. We had a very very good time. It was an amazing few days watching our close mate. Yeah, play Test cricket, and that's such a such an inspiring story. That yeah, you could see some similarities, even though he was doing it at first class level. He'd been picked at Test cricket. Like you say, you're in the ballpark, and that like gives you hope, gives you belief, and then you yeah, say, yeah, definitely. let let's get to work, and that. That's such a great message for young players who just you. You might not need to compare yourself right now if you're 15 to to Steve Smith, but if you can sort of think, well, where was someone like Steve Smith at 15, or where was Charlie Wakeham at 15? Like this is going to be a really inspiring story for people, and and maybe there's a, a 17 year old who's in the state under 17s, and you think I'm in his ballpark. That should give you a lot of hope and belief that you can make it. Don't you agree?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it'd be it'd be almost strange for someone to. To think, uh, like the opposite when they're when they're there, because you know you're always if you're surrounded by those kind of people and those players, and you're looking up to people, but you know you're performing as well. You you're not you're never as far away as you think. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And we have mentioned your brother Ben, we've mentioned your dad's uh, briefly, and we've spoken about Sam. Were there other? Uh, and this maybe is a chance to shout a few people out. Were there other influential mentors throughout your career?
1: Yeah, I had I, I think growing up in Sydney in a big cricket uh, community. You've got a lot, but early coaches, Phil Young. I had um, Mike O'Brien, Chris O'Brien's dad, another good mate of ours, Moby. Um, really, really crucial. Um, was Smith, who's was a bit of a guru, um, country coach. He's come to Sydney and done a lot of work with some, some players, um, probably most known for his uh, work with Michael Slater back in the day. Likes to tell people about it. But... Um, Then I had guys when I was in um, first grade at uni in New South Wales, Murray Creed, who I still talk to regularly. I think he's an exceptional batting coach um, and really good mentally. And I still go back to him. Played a lot of my cricket with David Dawson, who is one of the most technically perfect batters I've ever played with. Um, And so I learned a lot just off watching him um, and watching him go about score 100 after 100. When I was a real young kid, Jim Robson too. Um, jungle threw us balls. Worked at the indoor center, and we—I just remember him sort of running halfway down the pitch, throwing bounces, telling us to play pull shots. Um, <laughs> those things, probably. Yeah, looking back now, you you sort of think, oh, that, that obviously, the fact that I just remember it has had some sort of effect on me. Absolutely, um, obviously, so it takes, quite a few.
0: Shout out to Jungle, and and yeah, I I think there's such an important role in in your role models and your mentors, and obviously that's sort of why I'm doing cricket mentoring to try and help sort of people have a mentor if they, if they don't have someone. Now, moving forward, um, tell us a bit about your transition. You said you weren't into the, in the established in first grade till about 22. What were those sort of 19, 20, 21 years like? And what, did you, yeah. what was your transition into grade cricket like?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I made my first grade debut at 18, batting number seven against Sydney Uni and then was in and out of the side for the next three years. So I was basically playing second grade with the odd game in first grade from 18 to 21. And those years, they were so enjoyable because we had a good young group playing together. But I know deep down and looking back, that's probably where I lost a couple of years because if I cemented my spot at 18 in first grade, I think I'd probably have gotten to where I am now a little earlier. Um, I had to wait but I probably had to mature and mature as a player and as a person in that 18 to 21 year period um, and the only way I really f- could do that is by f- playing and failing and learning and then having a bit of success and then learning from that and figuring out what works for me because it's it's going to be different for everyone, their processes they go through, probably for more from a batting point of view I'm speaking but um, yeah it, i'm not I'm not regretful that I didn't sort of push a bit harder in that time because it's probably gave me the the natural amount of time to mature um, I played it's funny because I played with Angus as well, like we've spoken about Angus Robson in second grade for three years the two of us, and then all of a sudden he was playing county cricket as a first class cricketer and doing really well, so that was another example of seeing someone. Who was on my level in Sydney? You go overseas, had some success, and I thought, you know, I could do the same thing. Um, so there's a lot of learning done, I think, in that in that period of time.
0: Yeah, and I think something that stands out for me there is how you said, yeah, you just had to play and you had to learn from both failures and successes, and and that's where going overseas is so valuable. And you, like, you've already sort of touched on it, but you had three seasons in the UK. Oh, sorry, two in the UK, one in Ireland, and. And that really, just those opportunities to play 15, 20, 30 games in the the off-season, really, really helps develop you as a cricketer, um, doesn't it?
1: Hugely. I think the two things that stood out for me when I go overseas is you gain independence as a a young sort of person growing up um, on your own. You're left a bit on your own. And independence, I mean, you have to do your own sort of training because you're not really going to get helped out as much as you would. Um, Life independence kind of getting by on your own. Um, and the other word is accountability. Like they, if you're if you're um, contacted to come over and play as an overseas player for a club, you got all of this sudden um, the heightened sense of expectation from people around you. Uh, and you place it on yourself. And that was my first experience of dealing with that added pressure of everyone else relying on me to score runs. Um, and I think that's probably where it can make or break a player is how they can deal or cope with that accountability or that reliance of you basically being a banker for the team. Mm,
0: That's a really interesting point and something we we don't really have time to go into too much depth now, but something I'll maybe go into in in my other podcast with with Bucky Rogers and a few others. But um, what, so you obviously didn't move down to Tassie and we'll get into that transition to what you were 25 or 26. What, what were you doing to support yourself and what was your life outside of cricket like throughout all those years? You finished school at sort of just before 18 and what did you do for the next six yeah. or seven years before you got your contract with Tassie?
1: Yeah, so I went to uni and did a commerce degree. Um, that took four years and then I worked for a software company uh, when I was 23, um, full-time in the sales role. Uh, And, you know, it was enjoyable, but it probably wasn't something I I wanted to do long-term. But it gave me a taste of the workforce and and got to put into practice some of the stuff I'd learned at uni. And then I quit that job. And then I was... That was probably the point in time I remember speaking to my dad um, where I said, I want to play... I was playing a lot of second-eleven cricket for a bit of second-eleven and had to keep taking time off work to go play. Um... And it was getting a bit much, so something had to give and I, I quit my work. And that was probably a time when I fully committed to to trying to get contracted somewhere. Um, and then on the side, I was working with Dave Dawson as a, a coach, really. So I was coaching young kids um, from all ages, probably eight to 14, 15. And I was doing that pretty much most mornings and afternoons. And that sort of sustained me. I, I was living in a house with a couple of mates and playing cricket on
0: the weekend. Yeah, nice, nice. And so how did, the, how did the transition to Hobart come about? And how did the contract come with Hobart? How did that whole part of your journey happen? I just want to take a quick break to let you know about our brand new online program that we've just released at Cricket Mentoring. Behind the Grill with Josh Philippi is an amazing insight into one of the most exciting young cricketers in the world right now. If you've ever wanted to get inside the mind and game of an elite player to see how they go about things, then this is your opportunity. Philippi has been tipped by Shane Warne and Steve Smith as the next big thing in Australian cricket. And in this seven-part video series, he shares everything about his game, including his technique, game plans, mindset, preparation, and a whole lot more. Head to cricketmentoring.com and click on the online programs tab in the menu to purchase this program and start learning how the best in the world go about their game. Now back to this episode.
1: So I had a couple of yeah, consistent years in first grade in Sydney where I just sort of figured out how to score hundreds. and. I tried to just, you know, I just probably put a, I just probably put a few hundreds on the board that I missed out on a contract in New South Wales. I thought I was quite close, but it wasn't to be, which was fine. And then I uh, got can a call just, from Tassie.
0: Before you go yeah. into this story, before you go into this story, it'd be fascinating yeah. if you if you can take us back and what was the thing that clicked that allowed you to go and score hundreds? What was the the difference in your game? Was it a bit of belief, or was it understanding your game a bit more, or Yeah, what was the main thing, do you reckon, that that was the the change?
1: It's a mix, I think, of um, self-belief. And then I I find that a lot of the times I'll go up a level of cricket or play in a new team, a sense of belonging. It's quite hard to feel like you fit into a team as soon as you enter it. Um, You're kind of looking around and thinking what other other people will think of you. So once I sort of scored my first 100, I felt a bit more of that sense belonging and that I could really perform at that level Um, and then as I moved up the batting order and had a bit more leadership responsibilities in captaining and things like that I I was holding myself a little bit more accountable which put a bit more of a higher price on my wicket Um, and I kind of took it on myself that you know um, I need to be the one to, to score the runs today I need to be the one to win us the game um, even if that wasn't the case, which it probably wasn't, everyone in the team could, could pitch in. But that was the mindset I had, and um, it was yeah, it gave me some good output for a few years there. Which looking back is is where I learnt. You know, you're playing lots of good cricketers in Sydney club cricket week in week out, um, and you're exposed to some some good players, and that's probably how you only how I got better is just by playing against those good players.
0: That's awesome. And I I actually recorded a a short podcast for the Under the Lid podcast that I do. I've already mentioned with Chris Rogers and Charlie Burke and this morning we spoke about how young players can be leaders in their environment and um, you don't have to have the cat, the C next to your name. It sounds like that's something you did maybe before you were a a really dominant first grader. You'd scored your first hundred, you started to feel like you belonged and you obviously got the captaincy later when you were sort of 23, 24, which is quite young in, in many aspects. Um, so you were obviously a leader around the group at that stage. Can you expand a bit on that?
1: Yeah, well, I think leadership is done by action. So you, it's more about having an awareness of, of the game and the situation of the game and wanting to contribute, whether you're on the field or off the field. So, you know, it can be going and grab the bowler's hat from fine leg. It can be having a word to the captain about potential field placings or, or moving the field or bowling changes, um, gutsing out a tough spell. If you're batting, that's another great example. I think it's sort of courage, which is in effect leadership. But, you know, if you, if you can kind of put your your own self uh, ambitions away for a little bit and, and put the team first, I think there's so many ways you can do it. That was just to name a few. Um, 'Cause I think yep. once you get that sense of leadership you can it, it actually I found it added to my game. I found that I I was really a lot more invested. I, I wanted it was it was a lot more on my shoulders and I wanted to, to contribute. Awesome, awesome.
0: And I, I think a big one is is the way you carry yourself and the standards you set at training. That sort of lead by example, as you said, lead by your actions and and really bring the other guys with you. So obviously you did that very well. Now, sorry, I cut you off before, and we've gone off a little sidetrack. Tell us a bit more about. Tell us a bit more about how the the transition. You said you missed out on a contract with New South Wales, where you might have been close. Yep. Um, yeah. Tell us how you went to, went to Hobart. Was, was New South Wales in communication? Were they saying to you, Charlie, you're close, or what happened with New South uh, Wales, and then what happened with Tassie?
1: Um, they. I I, I. I can't. To be honest, I can't actually remember. But. I played a bit of second 11 and I think there was a little bit up in the air whether they had enough spots, but it worked out that I didn't get an offer at New South Wales. And I, um, funny story, actually, when I found out I wasn't getting contracted, I started applying for jobs again, like similar to that job I had um, a year or two earlier. Um, and I went through the whole interview process with all these companies and I ended up getting a job. Um, I actually... Missed out on quite a few. I remember feeling it was like the world was coming to an end. I wasn't going to have any, any work or any money. But I, I got a job, accepted it. And then two days later is when Cricket Taz got in contact with me. So then I had to ring the, the guy who just offered me the job and said, sorry, mate, <laughs> I'm, I'm heading to Hobart. So it was a funny period in my life. But, yeah, I, I think... There were some connections with New South Wales. Um, Tassie were going through a bit of a rebuilding phase, and they were getting some new um, people in, new coaches, new CEO, uh, and it just sort of the timing was right for me, I think, because they wanted an injection of some new players, and yeah, I was just fortunate enough to, to be in the mix. And yeah, I moved down when I was twenty five. I Actually, some people sort of say it's you know a big deal moving, but it wasn't because it was. What I'd been working hard for, so I was—I basically moved at the jump of the hard. I was stoked to, to come down, um, moved down here on my own, lived with one of the fellow players, um, Andrew Fekety, and then also moved in with and Nathan Ellis, who was a mate of mine from home, and he's obviously gone uh, off the scales since he debuted the season before. But so yeah, moved down, and I was, uh, uh, yeah, basically straight thrust into the the, the professional setup, and it was. It was pretty cool, new world, being around guys like Tim Payne, George Bailey. Um, you know, you sort of see him on TV, and then finally you're, you're training with them. So that was that was pretty cool.
0: And you spoke earlier about a sense of belonging. Um, what was it like? How did you feel when you went out to that next level, and you went into a professional environment, having been a grade sort of battler for a number of years to try and get where you were?
1: Terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. I, I um, you know yeah i i just i was i suppose i was probably pretty quiet going you know i didn't want to rustle any feathers because yeah, i've heard stories of you know new guys coming in that i'm pretty sure they get shut down pretty quickly so yeah i just I, I went in just tried to be quiet but be myself and not really try and um make too much noise i didn't want too many people looking at me to be honest i wasn't one to come in and sort of say i'm gonna dominate because I hadn't had much experience or success, and I knew that I would have had to earn the guys' respect. Um, so, yeah, it was it was it, it was a little bit weird. But it's sort of tough as well when you're kind of away from friends in that regard. You are just sort of relying on um, these new guys that you've met to to kind of hang out with and get by. But they were great. Yeah. I suppose it really was just a, a pretty seamless transition in terms of the lifestyle.
0: And so were the cricketers, did they become your only mates? Um, and it, it can be quite dangerous at times when your whole life is cricket and everyone you hang around with is around cricket. Did you have any other sort of friends in Hobart or were you just relying on your, your mates from Sydney to chat to regularly and, and, and have that as your escape from the environment, I suppose?
2: Yeah,
1: Hobart's quite small, so a lot of the people were cricket friends and I obviously met a few other mates now outside of cricket through guys who I play with. Keep really close with my mates from Sydney still and talk to them, but um, I play club cricket down here in Hobart and that's even though it's still cricket, it's it's away from the system and it's away from the state set up. So I've got a lot of mates there and have a great time with those guys.
0: Yeah, nice. And then... You you moving forward to your first class debut, um, it was an incredible match for you and a day for you. I'm sure 160 of 333 balls, you were 27. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that day, but also what you had to do to actually break into the side.
1: Um, yes, yeah, so well, to to get into the side, I had pretty much my first year for Tassie. I didn't play a Shield game. Um, I was in the second eleven team and done pretty well there but just wasn't really didn't wasn't really a spot available for me in the Shield team we made the final that year Uh, second year I just yeah I I suppose I put on a few consistent performances uh, and then not sure if you remember George Bailey got injured had a horrible uh, shoulder dislocation in the big batch towards the end of the big batch and I was watching that on TV and I thought and I'd just gotten hundred for Tazi say eleven and I remember thinking oh that could be I could be a chance because the shield game was only a week or two away, so I was like oh i might I might be in with a, a sniff there um obviously shocking for george and um but that's that's funny how the game works that's how how opportunities come up so yeah um unfortunately he was injured I got an opportunity um I just remember being so nervous just leading up to it. It wasn't really the moment and going out to bat, which made me nervous. It was more of build-up and um, flying to Adelaide and all that sort of stuff, thinking, oh, how am I going to get my first run? I hope I'm going to duck all those funny thoughts that go through your head. Um, but as, as sort of cliché as it sounds, when I got out to bat and got off strike, it, it just became like another innings.
0: Yeah, and, and is that the best innings of your career, would you say? And what... If you go back into it, it's amazing that you obviously had heightened senses and all that adrenaline and all that emotion and all those years of work sort of made you probably super ultra, ultra focused and determined. And it's amazing how some people have their their highlight of their sort of career to date in the biggest game of their of their career. Some people who do it in a final, or some people who do it on debut. It it must have been a really special day. And and try and
1: take us back into that that day and what yeah. it, it was like. Um. Yeah. It really was um yeah it was just a dream dream come true really to get 100 but i just remember that i i really just remember thinking i had a huge focus on just trying not to just to stay in because i was batting with weight Matt that at the time he was flying like he was smacking him everywhere and um i just remember it's just we i was just trying to stay in at the other end get in on strike um and not get out and then you know once you start Getting into your innings I just kind of felt the rhythm for the game and and got used to some of their bowlers and getting used to their actions and how the ball came out. Um, And then I tried as hard as I could to just keep being in the moment, in present, not look too far ahead. Uh, And I remember, I think I was on 99, Travis Head, so he was bowling his off spinners. some people might say part-time, but I thought they were pretty handy at the, on the day, and I didn't want to get out, um, obviously, on 99 to, to Hetty Bowling Office, and I blocked out a full maiden with lots of guys around the back. And then the next over was a maiden, and then the next one, I was back on strike to Hetty, and he fired balls again. I blocked all five of them, and all the Sacker boys were saying a few words, like, come on, get on, kind of thing. And I uh, thought, okay, you guys got to it get them with it here, you get your 100. anybody you buy one just short and I cut it away and got the 100. But, uh, yeah, so it was a big relief getting the 100. But then I thought it was back to normal and just try and stay in, keep going as long as you can because, you know, it's, you never know how how many chances you get. You never know what happens in this world. So if you get a 100, try and make as big one as you can. And I just sort of kept going, tried to keep grinding it out. It was a really nice wicket too, which helped. And, um yeah, I probably ended up giving my wicket away a bit soft in the end. He went straight to mid off, but um, that was a great game actually. We we won in the end. Jackson Bird took a massive, massive load of wickets in the second innings, and it was it was really good team win, but good for me to have a memory of my first game getting hundred and then winning on the last day. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really cool, but. It was really only the start, you know. From then, I kind of got brought back down to earth pretty quickly. And the next few games, missed out, just got found out a little bit, um, pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. It's, it's what a what a beautiful memory to have, no matter what happens for the rest of your career, and hopefully you've got many, many more like that. But what an amazing memory! And it sounds like, um, the sort of the thought process of I'm going to make this count is a really mature sort of thought process and having been through everything you'd been through to get there at age 27, you knew how difficult opportunities like this were to come by and you were going to make the most of it. Um, did it feel a little bit like redemption or like you'd proved a lot of people wrong after that or you'd proved the doubters wrong? You obviously didn't make any underage sort of sides, as you said. Did did that feel like you, you'd sort of prove to yourself that you were good
1: enough? Yeah, probably to myself. I I I, I don't really think... There was much to prove to too many. I mean, obviously I needed to prove myself on the, on that stage, but from my point of view, I didn't have like a burning vendetta that proved people wrong, that hadn't picked me in sides. So I, I, I didn't, that doesn't really, that didn't really feel me. It was more just, I always thought I had the capability of doing it, but until you do something and achieve something like that, you, you can never be sure. So that was, it was more just self satisfaction and you know proving that I could to myself I suppose that I could do it and that it's what I wanted to do I think that's a more important point is that you know you can get caught up in in chasing things but once you do it it's I was just so relieved and I was just so hungry to do it again that it sort of proved to me that I was on the right path I wanted to keep doing it and
0: awesome awesome that's a very good point now you mentioned how you got found, sort of brought back to earth quite quickly and found out the next few yeah. games. What, Having played a lot of sort of grade cricket both in Sydney and Tassie what, now, what's mm. the one thing you've found when you're playing at the higher, like the higher level that get test, get, gets tested the most? Now, let's take a break from Charlie
2: for a minute and get back to our last episode with South Australian opening batsman, Jake Wetherald. Um Yeah, massive tinkerer. Yeah, um, I believe in tinkering. I think it's, um, I know it might not worth everyone, but at the same time, I've, I feel as though that tinkering to be successful has got me to where I am and being able to make, make sure I survive in my game um, because I feel as though that you're going to be challenged all the time with your with you, with what's going on and people are going to try to get you out different ways and new things are going to crop up all the time. So if you're willing to slightly change your game in order to make sure you're successful and continue to be successful, um, then I think you should be all for it. But, you know, those things have, been detrimental and been great for me. So I'm not going to say that it's great to change everything. But at the same time, if you've got a mindset to constantly, you know, keep improving um, and there might be improvement, might just be doing the same thing. It might just be working hard at the same thing and getting that better. So that's tinkering as well in my mind, you know, you're tinkering with the fact that you're just not going to do anything because you feel as though like it's the best process. So for me, it was I had to figure out how to make sure I wasn't falling over as much. The left end is cursed. You just want to fall over a lot with your front, with your head. Um, and that meant my front foot was constantly going across my body. And every time i tried try to play anything through mid-off, uh, mid-on or through cover, I'd be bringing through a pretty um, pretty uh, sliced uh, bat face and I'd just nick off for fun. So my first technical thing that I worked on was making sure that I was stepping straight. And that actually, meant, that actually led to me doing things quite dramatically. I just did a bit like what Steve Smith sort of does a little bit sometimes and what Shane Watson did where they'd have quite a light front foot and pretty much wouldn't plant it. And they'd literally hover their front foot for a while to make sure that they were just going in the line of the ball and not planting too early. Um, so it sometimes looks a bit ridiculous. Um, but for me, it makes sure that my head's going straight and my foot's going straight because they do work in tandem. Um, but yeah, making my, my foot was such a big deal to me in the way I thought about batting because I felt if I was squaring up that my foot was always too square and sometimes pointing to point. So it made me very hard to be able to hit down the ground, which is my strength when I'm hitting the ball well.
0: Now let's get back to Charlie.
2: Your decision
1: making, I think. Decision making for sure. And I, I think that that's quite a broad term, but it, it, it's more about your commitment to your decision making. So you might make the wrong decision, but if you commit to making that decision, I feel like most times you can get out of trouble. Um, so it's about. Really, deciding that this is what I'm going to do and committing 100% to that shot or that leave or whatever it is, um, I think that's where I've seen well, a lot of work I've done is is in that area. It's a tough one because sometimes the ball's halfway down, and you think, "Oh, it's probably not the right decision," but you're best, for my point of view, I'm best off committing rather than pulling out half half-hearted.
2: Yeah,
0: I've, I've, I couldn't agree more and obviously not talking about playing at the highest level, but all the athletes I work with, I have a story where I say, if you have a player A who has an excellent technique, but only half commits to their shot and you have player B with an average technique, but fully commits to everything they do, I think player B will be more successful. So I couldn't agree more that, yeah, it's that's hugely important. Um, so... Progressing the the sort of story, you finish last season. Obviously, you'd be pretty pumped with your hundred, but also maybe a bit disappointed with how things sort of progressed from there. What did your off season look like last year? Were you incredibly motivated and determined to get that feeling again and keep getting better? Um, Did you really just enjoy yourself and relax a bit? How did your off season look?
1: Um, Yeah, I switched off for probably a month, just um, hang out with friends. So went on a holiday quickly, and then yeah, it, it was certainly having that success in the back end of the year, it, it, it drove, it spurred me on to start the season really well and positively. And I did a lot of work on adding to some of my technical stuff and a lot in, in, in terms of my game plan, my mindset where I'm, where I'm batting uh, in the preseason, we talk about a lot of stuff I worked on is at the point of, point of the release when the ball's about to release the ball what position I want to be in physically at the crease, mentally, what, what I want to be sort of thinking about or where I want to be um, in, my, in my mental state. Um, they were the, probably the biggest things I, I kept wanting to work on because yeah, batting can be a real mental game. You're out there, you've got so much to think about, so much stimulus coming in and going out that you need to not control it because I, I think that's a tough word to use. It's very difficult to control thoughts but being able to process thoughts and and be able to allow bad thoughts or thoughts that are irrelevant to come in and pass really quickly I think that was that's a big thing I've been working
0: on yeah I, I sort of talk about it yeah understand it and then manage it and it's like you say it's not controlling yeah. it yeah. your brain does yeah. things that you're out is out of your control but understanding that that's a negative thought and then managing your mind to move on to something that's going to help you rather yes. than hinder you so Going into your mindset, that's a nice transition because that was sort of going to be where I take you to the next little part. Is so, what is yeah. ex- exactly that you do in your pre-ball um, sort of routine, both physically, but more importantly, mentally? Do you have a mantra or a phrase as the bowlers is running in, and then how do you manage your thoughts and what do you think about in between balls?
1: Yeah, I, I sort of base base it off having fundamentals is what I call them. Um, I try and have as few as possible, so I rank them, and sometimes they change, but Uh, at the moment it's basically number one thing I want to do is watch the ball Um, and number two thing is to be level and that sort of means emotionally if I'm too high or if I'm too low trying to balance out the uh, arousal level Um, so they're the two things I sort of I do sort of mutter them to myself as the ball is running in watch your ball and levels during in between balls, it's can
0: I just can I just ask there, Charlie? How do you how do you stay level? So, do you, is it about just trying to bring your attention back to the present moment? Do you just take a deep breath that really centers you, or how do you actually stay level rather than just telling yourself to stay level?
1: Um, I'll I will be I'll I'll try and uh, do a bit of preparation and have some sort of song going in my head. That's um, the And the and the more I've sort of thought about it, it's probably Having a song, if I start thinking about something that isn't, if I'm feeling a little bit over-aroused or if I'm thinking about something that's probably not relevant or I'm feeling too relaxed, having a song kind of take my attention away from thinking that and basically um, put my mind at ease so I'm just concentrating on the on the tune or the words or whatever it is. Um, so it's almost a way of... of moving on, like you said, managing some thoughts um, so that it kind of gives me a bit of a clean slate for the next ball.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. That's a really practical example of how a young cricketer might be able to go and do the same thing because a lot of cricketers have used that same sort of technique where they just sing a song. And and what I've sort of understood is that we sort of remember song lyrics subconsciously. We hear them and we remember the beat and the And that allows us to switch from our really conscious thinking mind, where we often are analytical and overthink things and worry, to our subconscious mind. And when we're in our subconscious, that's when we can just flow and we can just react. And that's when, with the sort of we play in the zone, as they call it. Um, I cut you off before, so go on. It's
1: about like being um, sorry. It's about being trying to stay present. So, like you hear a lot of the time, people about being present and not trying to think in the future. And so many times I've, I've stuffed up batting is because I've thought about something that's happened or thought about what's going to happen or what I need to do other than the only thing that matters is this ball. Literally that's all that matters. So absolutely, that, that sort of singing a tune helps me just try and be in that moment.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think and I sort of work with my athletes, we, we spend a lot of time on, on technique, but we spend a fair bit of time on the mind as well. And, and I say that yeah. the, the most important skill any batter can have or the best skill any batter can have is being able to focus on the present moment. Not anything to do yeah. with your grip grip or your cover drive. Or it's just the ability to keep your mind and bring your mind back to the present moment. Not, like you say, get ahead of yourself or dwell on the past. Um, yeah. What do you do in between balls? Just want to pause for a minute there guys to let you know about our email newsletter if you haven't subscribed to our email newsletter you're missing out on loads of value to help you both on and off the field every monday i send out a monday motivation email where i share my favorite article video podcast of the week plus a little bit about what i'm up to and what i'm learning i'm always trying to give value and help you guys become your best so head over to cricketmentoring.com forward slash newsletter dash subscription and sign up now so you can get value into your inbox every week. Now let's get back into this episode.
1: I'll try and um, get that tune going, whatever it is. Just look around. I'm not a massive talker to my partner, so I won't talk a whole lot. Sometimes my partners, they different guys will do different things and that's fine. So if someone I know likes to talk a lot, I'll give them a bit more back. If someone doesn't like to talk, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just leave them alone. So, that doesn't really bother me. I don't really engage much with the field or the bowlers. Uh, it's just not my personality. And I think, do it if it's your, if it if it works for you, 100% go and do it. But, uh, if it doesn't, that's cool as well. Yeah, I, I, I just try and really zone out. I like switch off as much as I can, whether that be sing a song, think about something, a nice memory, or something like that. Whatever it is, because that's your downtime, really.
0: Yeah, nice. And now. You mentioned a bit about the work you did in the off-season with your technique and your mind at sort of um, point of release. What what do you think is the percentage between technical and mental at the top
1: level? I think everyone at the top level has a quite a, a good base level of skill, hand-eye, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, you, you, it's tough to put a number on. it. I don't know, probably different for different people. But mentally, you want to be 80, 70 80% slight. It's what you rely on. And then I think the, the, if that's right, you put yourself in, you give yourself the best chance for success. Um, so I work back that way. If, if I've got my processes and plans and um, and I'm ticking things off my box in the lead up to an innings, that will mentally, I'm calm. So then that gives me the best chance to execute my physical skills. So um, there won't be times I'm, I'm going out for an innings. So I know that I haven't quite. Um, mm-hmm prepared as well as I have for other games. And that can weigh on my mind when I'm batting. And then it's I know I'm not quite prepared and it might not have the same result. So in terms of percentage, I'm not sure. But in in a ranking system, I'd go mental first and technique or skill or whatever you want to call it, second.
0: Yeah, and and a theme, I ask that to all our guests who are sort of playing at the top level or have played at the top level, just to sort of highlight the importance of mental skills because I think a lot of young athletes it's all about technique. And so there's sort of something, that, and there's no correct answer ever. It's different for everybody. Um, I just try and sort of bring that in for the young players to understand. And yeah. what's what's been a theme with all of my guests is that if your technique isn't at a certain level and your foundations aren't good, you'll get found out at the top level, especially with all the technology and analysis that goes into preparation these days. But ultimately, once you've got that level, it then becomes pretty much about managing those little things in your game but you're just getting your mind in the right state um is that would you agree with that
1: yeah i I would uh, 100 it's it's just all about putting yourself in a position to have the most success doing everything you can leading up to to the point in time where you need to perform
0: yeah absolutely now how do you how do you switch off um and get away from the game? Obviously. Cricket's an all-consuming game. We can think about it 24-7, um, and especially when it's your job and your career and your livelihood and something you've dreamt about. How do you find a way to sort of switch off and what do you do for enjoyment outside of the game?
1: love my surfing. Um, so I get out and try and get a few waves whenever I can. Um, it's good at this time of year where I haven't got many commitments so I can get out a fair bit. Um, so that's a some, massive one.
0: Are there some decent waves in Hobart?
1: Yeah, there are. i just got to avoid the though it's yeah, no <laughs> that's right. up. Uh, yeah, right. um, but I got a good mate down here um, who's, who's also in the Tazzy squad, but we go surfing together. When we surf, it's just surfing, chat, Life chat. We don't really talk much about cricket. Uh, Mac Wright, he's a really good surfer. Shout out, Mac. But so, yeah, do that. Um, what else? I, when I was actually over in um, the UK for the first time, I had a lot of downtime. Obviously, I bought a guitar, just got it on YouTube, and just started strumming, and that was probably six or seven years ago, and I've just been playing ever since. So, um, yeah, playing music um, is another another big one of mine, so I enjoy getting the guitar out. They're probably the, the two main things. I've just enrolled in a uni course as well, so, uh, so that'll keep me busy, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, very good. What are you studying?
1: Doing a graduate certificate of um, business administration. Bit of a mouthful. Very nice. So Very nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And so is that is that sort of something that I think all young cricketers again and all athletes need to sort of think about is that, unfortunately, cricket isn't for your whole life, cricket and any sport for that matter. And it's actually for quite a small percentage. You might finish your career at 30 or 32 or 37, but then you've still got 60, 70 years ahead of you. Are you doing that now to prepare yourself for
1: when cricket does end? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, you don't know how long you'll be a cricketer for and you are probably can't rely on that defining your life you know if you if you come out of the game and you start really young at 20 and you come out at 25 you, you've got you know your crucial years ahead of you of, of sort of defining yourself so for me as well about it, it's I've had a bit of an understanding and appreciation for work outside of the high-level sport environment um, so I, I, was, I, I sort of know what, what to expect but I, I, while I'm in this position, I think it would be a bit foolish of me to just sort of disregard my future because I'm going to keep, going to have to get a, a a job at some stage, and I want it to be something I'm interested in and qualified in, and um, something that I don't fear or dread as well. I, I mean, ideally, who knows what how I'll feel, but if it's something that I've at least looked into and have a bit of an interest in. Um, you know there's there's certainly more than one thing like cricket that i can look forward to and and do for my life
0: absolutely and that's a great message you're a great role model um well done for sort of thinking and planning ahead and not just being a bit lazy and just playing on your xbox and just like and that's fine to do it every now and again to get away but to really invest in yourself and your future um as we move towards the end of this podcast i suppose that a big message out of this is that everyone has their own journey everyone gets to where they get to in different ways and that's why I sort of do this podcast to share people's stories and inspire other cricketers what would you say obviously you're you're sort of got a lot more cricket ahead of you and hopefully like I said many many more hundreds and and who knows I want to hear about your ambition in the game shortly but what would you say to any young cricketer who might be sort of missing out on their state side or their representative side, like you did at sort of the 17s and 19s level. What would your message be to, to any young cricketer out there?
1: Oh, i just, I just say to keep playing the game for the right reason. If you really enjoy playing the game, doesn't matter what level it's at, if you enjoy playing with your mates, that's the main thing. Um, if you've got ambitions to go higher and you really, truly believe it, you, you'll find ways to get there. Um, I had a bit of a different path, but it's... You know, it's not to say it's the right one or the wrong one. It's, it's everyone's different. So it, it's sort of, I think there's no guaranteed way of getting success. Um, you've kind of got to go out and figure it out yourself. And obviously lean on mentors and people around you to help pave the way. But ultimately you're the one who's got to take the steps.
0: Yeah, awesome. Awesome advice. I, I think it's about owning your own development is something I'm big on. And yeah, like like you did, you've got to, you've got to make sacrifices. Um, you've done that plenty yeah. of times. You've got to chase opportunities wherever you can and you've got to constantly be learning and growing. So what a, what a great sort of message to any young athletes out there. Now, just moving into the final few questions, what what drives you? What drives you right now? What's driving you to get out of bed every morning? Just uh,
1: I really feel like I've got a lot more improving to do because I've played a handful now of games um, and I think I've started to get a real taste of what it takes, but it's me it's probably that that fear of what I said earlier of having the talent and the hard work and not not putting in the hard work and as you kind of move up, the hard work gets harder and harder, and you need to kind of be the one to step up and match it so that's probably me is is getting better. Um, keep proving myself and finding that sense of belonging like I spoke about, because once you feel that sense of belonging, it's such a burden off your shoulders, I think, when you stop sort of looking around and thinking, do, do I belong here? Do they think I belong? Um, that's probably what drives me, is, is me sort of owning owning
0: my path and getting better and knowing deep down that I've given it a full crack. Awesome, awesome. Um, now, looking ahead, sort of you're 28 now, looking ahead 10 years or 15 years even. everything. If everything goes as well as it can from here, what would you have liked to achieve in the game?
1: Where would you have got to? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> you want to play as high as you can. I'd love to play test cricket. I'm a bit older coming into the system and I'm aware of that. But I um, I want to be able to win games for any team I play in, win premierships, whether that's club cricket, for Tassie, or or any higher would be great, but I, I, you know, I'd love to become, you know, a regular player in the Shield team and and really hold my spot down there, because I think that's where you can, that's where you'll have some of your great memories with some close mates who, you you know, you train and play and live with every day, so yeah, then moving on, I just like, I I don't know, success, what do I want to be? Happy? (laughs) Relaxed? Yeah. Probably, the other two words.
0: (laughs) Yeah, nice, nice. Now, um, something I ask most of our guests is you're you're fortunate, you' you've sort of rubbed shoulders with the Australian Test captain at the moment, Tim Payne and matthew wade and and those sort of guys, George Bailey you've mentioned, what what is it that's common in the best players that you've seen up close?
1: I think they have such clarity in their in their plans. It's probably one thing um, that I, that you know coming in you sort of need to work on because it's not something you can just get given you need to figure it out. So, Wadey, for example, his his plan, when he goes out to bat, he's just so clear and committed to it um, that if it doesn't work that day, it doesn't. he doesn't doubt it. He sort of says, that's fine, this wasn't my day, I know I've got the right plan and I know if I keep sticking to it. Whereas, a less experienced player and even myself at times, I might question if, if what I'm doing is right, if I need to change my technique or look look that way. It's more, um, the, the successful players and the experienced guys are just so sort of calm, um, or at least they appear that way, <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: with their with
0: their plans. Yeah, awesome, awesome, great insight for young players and and how to maybe sort of work towards being one of the best players one day. So, final few questions. Obviously, we're doing this um, in the middle of or towards the end of April, twenty twenty. We're sort of in the middle of the coronavirus, and the future is really uncertain. But What's next for you? What is what does the future look like for you? And, and where what are you up to right now?
1: Um, future's a little unknown because we're not sure when we'll start training again. Um, it's supposed to be uh, in a few weeks, but it's looking like middle of June. We'll get we'll be able to hopefully get back together, if not as a group, at least for a couple of us. Um, so yeah, we just do our physical stuff, our running, our gym work, um, and in Tassie, where obviously it's cold and pretty wet in the winter, but we're, we're fortunate enough to have a marquee, which sits above our um, practice wickets, which they do have, I think, quite a lot in England as well. So um, I've heard that that's coming back, which is a great addition. We, we're able to train on turf um, wickets, similar to the conditions we face out at Belle Reeve in the off-season, um, when a lot of other sides usually are, are indoors. Um that's a really good thing for us and our development.
0: Yeah, awesome. That is that is huge. That is uh very very good to have and and good on Cricket TAS for doing that. Now, how can before I ask the final two questions at school, I guess, how can people follow you? We'll give you a shout out and we'll put some info in our show notes, but where can people follow your journey and hopefully see you playing test cricket one day?
1: Hopefully you can follow me on the Cricket Australia app in the in the shield scores. <laughs> um, I'll, yeah, I am on Instagram, Twitter, but I'm not not, not much of a poster. So if you like surfing photos, I'll put a few of them up on Instagram. You can look at them. Yeah. All right. That's probably it. You want we'll, we'll, <laughs> Chuck we'll, Wakeham is my Insta.
0: Chuck Wakeham. All right. We'll uh, we'll put that in the notes. And now, final two questions. Um, why do you play yeah, cricket?
1: To create good memories to look back on and to have really good friends from.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What a what a great answer. And now. Last question, and you may have already answered this before, but what's your definition of success? Definition
1: of success? Um, happiness.
0: Awesome, love it, love it. <laughs> simple,
1: <laughs> simple,
0: <laughs> but, but excellent. Charlie, you're a legend, mate. It's been good to catch up yeah. and actually no, hear I'm more about now. hear more about your journey. Um, as we said at the start, we've been mates for a while, but I and I've followed from afar. But it's it's awesome to hear a bit more about you and and how you tick and and you're sort of overcoming the struggles and, and the doubts and all that. And I wish you all the best. And I'm sure the whole cricket mentoring community will be behind you from now. So congratulations on everything you've yeah. done. And hopefully it's just the beginning.
1: Cheers. Yeah, it was tough coming out of the, the shadow of, of yourself at East Coast. I've really had to battle for a few dark periods <laughs> there when everyone's comparing me to you and all your runs you scored there. So cheers uh, for that.
0: Well, you've gone on and done better <laughs> things than me, mate. So I'm glad I played some part. <laughs> Good on you, yeah all right cheers charlie thanks guys thanks for listening well legends i hope you've enjoyed that conversation with charlie wakeham as a friend it's been so pleasing to see him develop his game from being a late bloomer to one of the best batters in the country his story is different to most professional cricketers in australia most pros have been through the underage representative pathway system and then soon after transitioned into a professional career that wasn't the case for charlie it was amazing to hear that it wasn't until he was 22 that he actually cemented his spot in his first grade side And he looks back now with no regrets, as he needed that extra time to mature as a person and a player. The only way to do that was by playing, failing, learning, having a bit of success and working out what works for him. Because as he said, it's going to be different for everyone. What great self-awareness. Here's a few other things I took out of the conversation. Being talented doesn't eventuate into success. I loved how he shared that he didn't want to be known as someone who had talent and that was it. Someone who could get a nice flashy 30 and then get out. He knew deep down that he had a good work ethic and if he got to work then anything could be possible. I loved him recalling the time where he was living with our good friend Sam Robson when Robbo got informed that he'd been picked to open the batting for England and how he thought that he was in Robbo's ballpark in terms of ability and that spurred him on to keep working hard and having a crack. I loved his take on leadership and how it's done by actions. It's more about having game awareness and the situation of the game and wanting to contribute whether you're on the field or off the field. It's about gutting out a tough spell if you're batting. It's about putting away your own self ambitions to put the team first it was fascinating to hear him say that it's your decision making that gets tested the most at first class level i've never heard anyone talk about the importance of the commitment to your decision making and how you might make the wrong decision but if you commit to that decision you will usually get out of it okay i love hearing what players think about in between balls and as the bowler is running in and hearing how charlie focuses on watching the ball and how he aims to be emotionally balanced not too high or too low plus how he uses a song to put his mind at ease in between balls it's a great way of managing his thoughts and having a clean slate for the next ball and an awesome example for young cricketers finally something that i think a lot of young cricketers overlook is their life after cricket so it was great to hear charlie talk about how he's studying to set himself up for after cricket as charlie said you can't rely on cricket to define your life you've got your crucial years ahead of you to define yourself From Charlie, while I'm in this position, it would be foolish of me to disregard my future because I'm going to have to get a job at some stage and I want it to be doing something that I'm interested in and I'm qualified in and ideally something that I don't fear or dread. This is excellent advice for any young aspiring cricketer listening to this episode. As with all our guests on this podcast, Charlie shared an amazing story and this episode was packed with some awesome advice for any aspiring cricketer. Please follow and support Charlie's career from now on and we wish him all the best for a very successful future on and off the field. If you enjoyed this episode, then I'd love if you could please share it with a friend, a teammate, or a group of friends. Chuck the link in a WhatsApp or Facebook group, or encourage someone who might find it interesting to listen to it. That's it for today's episode. I really hope you're enjoying these fascinating stories from amazing people that I'm sharing with you guys. If you are enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 to 90 seconds to leave a review, as it helps us move up the rankings and get heard by more people. Thanks a lot for listening. Now it's time to go out and get it done, legends. Shot boy.